0: Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing, different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go, I need you so I... Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women and people of all genders who experience sexism. Thank you for being here today. I'm really excited about today's guest. I've said this before on the show, but I'm someone who kind of grew into my political beliefs um, a little more slowly than some, and I didn't really get comfortable with who I was until later in life. I would say well into my 30s. Um, so I've always been really in awe of very young people who just know who they are and who have their shit together from an early, early age. And I try not to compare myself to other people because that's not useful. And I get inspired by people who wander around for a few decades too. I was like that, I get that. But my guest today is not like that. She is a woman who at the tender age of 20, right or did we just yes you your birthday's coming up soon yes um brings she brings tremendous knowledge wisdom confidence kindness and humor with her as she moves through the world and i was lucky enough to get to know her when she interned for my team two summers ago and was so thrilled when she agreed to come on the show so leah abrams welcome to feminist hot dog
1: thank you so much for having me adrian this is awesome
0: Um, For the listeners who don't know you, do you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself and what what you're doing with your life right now?
1: No, not at all. And I have to um, let everyone know that I'm never going to live up to that amazing introduction that (laughs) Adrian set me up with. So um, thanks a lot. Now I have to sound way cooler than I actually am. Um, (laughs) I um, am an undergraduate student right now um and a rising senior which is weird to say um but i actually grew up in north carolina and i still go to school here and i really um got interested in politics and policy um at a pretty young age like you mentioned um i grew up at the time of the moral monday movement in north carolina and that kind of became my um, impetus for political action and and being interested in social movements and so that has kind of shaped my um, undergraduate education what I'm studying what I do outside of class and right now I'm studying public policy and history with a certificate in documentary studies and I just am so interested in kind of political movement and how we build narratives around those political movements so
0: yeah you know, this is Feminist Hot Dog. Of course, I'd love to hear you talk about how you came to identify as a feminist. And I mean, when I met you, you were pretty clear about that part of your identity. And I thought that was so cool. Um, Because like I said, that's something that I definitely didn't think too much about until later. Um, So tell me a little bit about how that came to be.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, everybody has their own process for coming to their feminism or coming to understand their feminism better um I was super lucky in that I had a mom who was such a feminist um and who is such a feminist and uh kind of I think raised me in a way that would engender those beliefs in myself um engender haha um (laughs) but uh she she really is just such a strong woman um and and such a an amazing person to to be around and so I think like those beliefs in the equality of of all genders of all sexes was fundamental to like how I grew up in the household I grew up in but um I don't think that I necessarily knew what feminism was or had the language for that until much later, um, and I would say that it was probably in high school that I started, you know, identifying as a feminist, um, understanding what feminism could do for me, um, what it could mean for me, and I I think it really was uh, it revolved again around my involvement with politics, and um, I was so interested in in this kind of organizing stuff. Um, So I obviously had to do student government in high school. Um, I thought it would be so fun. And I got really involved. And all four years I was involved. And um, at the end of my high school career, I was lucky to be kind of heading up student government. And I think that that made me an easy kind of target for boys in high school who feel inadequate Um, or uncomfortable or or threatened by a female leader and so these were my good friends who were boys and they were young and immature and they became pretty misogynistic in their like attacks against my leadership so that Mm -hmm. it was the kind of thing where you know, if there had been a male student body president who they wanted to express a concern to, um, they just could not have used the type of language that they were using about me or or, or targeted me in, in the way um, that they did. You know, like there are certain words that you can use against a woman and there's just no equivalent, like there's no comeback that I could use that would make them feel the same way. Um, and I never saw this as, you know, some kind of harsh bullying or something like that. These are good friends who, uh, thought they were messing with me or, um, thought that they were expressing, you know, something they wanted to see happen in the school. But it came down to the fact that I realized I, I was being treated differently than I would, um, if I were a male student body president. And, um, and it, it changed the way that I understood myself and the way I understood, feminism because i realized i mean i am one person and i can't um kind of shape this culture or change this culture by like being super nice to them or explaining why that hurts my feelings um Mm. you know that's not going to do that much what feminism could convey um and and what it could help me um To put out into the world is a larger, wider movement of women and men and people of all genders, gender nonconforming people who are subscribed to the idea that we need this radical kind of political change Mm. um, to manifest equality between all of us.
0: Well, it's really remarkable. I think that you were able to kind of situate your personal experience and recognize People all over the world were having, you know, similar in some cases, much more serious um, consequences because of their gender and um, and recognize that, you know, we have a certain amount of power as individuals, but that together there and that those connections can can really that's what changes our culture. So Mm. I love that. And I'm sorry that happened to you. That sounds (laughs) That sounds very painful, even though you obviously handled it really well. That's a lot to take on as a, as a teenager.
1: Thank you. It's like, it's normal teen stuff. Um, and like you said, like people are facing much harsher consequences at the hands of sexism in the world. And I think I was lucky to kind of transform those experiences into something more meaningful.
0: So as someone who, uh, is currently living on a college campus. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about how you see feminist organizing showing up in collegiate spaces, and also just kind of your perspective about how you see it showing up in the broader US culture right now because we we see women advocating for themselves and demanding rights in, in a variety of different contexts um and through a variety of different channels right now and i'm just interested how the people that you interact with at college are sort of responding to that and also you know how you see feminism and activism around gender showing up in your campus
1: that's such a good question and i think it's i can't really speak to any sort of change um you know, from college campuses a few years ago to now, just because I'm in college right now and um, seeing what I'm seeing right now. So I guess that's what I'll speak to. And I'd also like to kind of say that I think feminist organizing looks really different in different regions and different communities and for different identities. I think that our feminism and what we're looking for um, out of it and what we're advocating for politically looks really different based on our racial, ethnic, regional, uh, gender identities. Um, and so I won't speak, you know, overall collectively, um, for all of those different experiences, but I can definitely speak to kind of some of the trends that I see on campus and am super inspired by. Um, one of the big ones is that I think, young people right now and I I hope kind of our culture collectively are recognizing how important it is to tie our any sort of women's movement or women's organizing um to the the defense of um or the or to the greater good of trans people as well so when we're talking about feminism now I don't think we're only talking about um, you know, cisgendered white women basically. I think um we are being very or at least a lot more intentional um about making sure that we're talking about trans men and women, we're talking about gender nonconforming people and how our feminism can be tied as a whole together, um, to to think about gender equality in that in that regard. Um Not as something that is upholding a gender binary, but as something that is affirming every person's ability to, first of all, pursue their own gender identity, whatever it might be. And second of all, to live an equal life um, within that body. Um, And I think that's really, really important and something that I feel like my college experience has been really bettered for, um, bettered for my kind of development and understanding of gender more clearly. And I think along with that, and kind of what I mentioned about our different identities shaping um, the way we see feminism, I think that at least Duke and kind of uh, the college campuses that I know of are really a lot more intentional um, about tying feminism to Other types of politics. And I think Mm. that's really, really pivotal um, if we're trying to make sustaining change. And when I say other types of politics, I don't just mean, you know, like advocating for policy change or, you know, trying to pass a bill in Congress, but I really mean that um, we're coming to a better understanding of the ways that our identities, our multiple identities, shape who we are as people. So you know, we are not just talking about feminism in a vacuum. We're talking about it in relation to, let's say, labor politics, um, workplace politics. We are talking about it in relation to racial identity and age and et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think it becomes much more powerful and nuanced in that way. And it also brings everybody into the room. And even if it's not bringing everybody into the room, you know, sometimes like like we need those separate spaces where, for example, like women of color need to congregate together and, and hold the space together. It's at least acknowledging that this whole kind of thing is made up of all these different types of people. And I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I also love how that you feel like your campus has absorbed those values too, or at least is is moving in that. At least direction. is moving,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> not perfect yet, but but um, that those those voices are being heard. So speaking of feminism, not happening in a vacuum. You spent some time abroad last year, is that right? Yes. And you were in Spain.
1: Yes, I lived in Madrid.
0: I'm curious um tell me about within the realm of your identity and being female what lessons did you find in that experience
1: Oh my gosh it was so interesting I really had such a great time traveling around um I felt so lucky to be able to do that it was one of those kind of stereotypical like college student goes abroad for the first time eyes open uh the world whatever uh, but it really was that and it was it was so awesome um and I learned a lot about myself and um lots about art and culture and food and and whatnot um but there were certain things that um were really surprising um that you have to deal with when you're a woman traveling anywhere um or you at least have to think about um There are two that I'll kind of focus on. The first is, I think, wherever you go in the world, um, you have to think about, like, if you're a woman, keeping yourself in physical safety. um, Mm -hmm. And I think men treat women and approach women differently in different cultures, and that was something that I kind of loosely knew I would run into. But really, I mean, it just kind of slaps you in the face sometimes, like, the culture around Men catcalling or approaching women in bars or in restaurants. Um, I think that, um, you know, in the different countries that I I got to go to, the different cities I got to visit, um, there really were different cultures around that. And I think you can see the same thing in the U.S. when you go from city to city, but it was definitely, you know, there were some places that i visited where like i me and my friends were approached at in just a much more aggressive way um Mm. and a much more forward um and kind of physically uh intimidating way and that was something that i kind of had to start to deal with and have my guard on more than um i would you know at home on this college campus where Um, For the most part, I know people and I don't really hear people shouting at me down the street or feel super uncomfortable walking home with my friends at night. Um, But that was definitely the case in some places that I visited. And then um, the other thing that was super interesting for me was I got to live with a host family, Mm. which was so fun um, and such a great experience. And I loved my host mom. She was amazing. And she was an older Spanish woman. And she kind of took on that role as a Spanish mother, almost smothering with love and and <laughs> kindness. But the, the bigger thing that was different for me is just being in her household. And I won't speak for every Spanish household because it's totally different depending on um, who you are there and everywhere in the world. But... Um, my host mom would cook three meals a day for me and her daughter and um, another student who was living there Um, she did my laundry Um, she did just all of these kind of domestic she she really filled that domestic role in a way that you know just wasn't the case in my household like kids shared responsibilities. Um, I grew up with two parents, um, and my dad shared responsibilities in the household. Um, and certainly nobody was doing laundry every single day. Um, but it was just a different approach to kind of motherhood and, um, and caring for people, um, that I I had to kind of learn to adjust to. And, and, um, it was interesting to see and, just think about what that means for my host mom and for uh, her daughter and for myself and um, my own family. So yeah.
0: That sounds amazing. What an awesome experience.
1: It was so cool.
0: Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we move on to the rest of the show?
1: So yeah, there actually is one thing that I wanted to share um, because it involves you and uh, a really empowering and affirming experience that I had when I was working at a summer internship. um, And I was so excited because it was interesting work and I was getting paid. And this is how we met, you were my supervisor. And I was making $10 an hour, um, which I figured, you know, is way better than nothing. And was so jazzed about it and had a great time the first few weeks. And um, there were a couple of other interns We all got our first paychecks and there was one other undergraduate intern and he and I were talking, this was a young man, um, who was also working at the same place and we were talking about our paychecks and I realized over the course of the conversation that he was making more money than I was. In fact, he's making $5 an hour more than I was, which, you know, adds up, um, over time. That's a lot. Significantly. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, And we were equally qualified, both undergrad students, um, but we were in different departments. And so when I found this out, I was kind of bummed, but I thought, well, I know, I'm sure different departments have different budgets. I don't know if I should say anything. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. And I am, like, the lowest on the totem pole. I don't even know, like, if someone would listen to me. Um, or have time to deal with something like this. So I wasn't going to say anything. Um, And then I started thinking about, you know, how women don't advocate for themselves and why pay gaps exist in the first place. Um, And that's not because women don't advocate for themselves, but it certainly um, doesn't help that we're told not to advocate for ourselves. And so... I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna try. And so um I went down to HR under the guise of going to get a snack, and I reached in the snack bucket and I'm just like sighing dramatically, probably. And I'm just like, hey, while I'm down here, um I just <laughs> wanted to bring this up. And um the long story short is that they raised my wage and they backpaid me, and they were so supportive about it. And The most wonderful thing about this this experience, though, that I wanted to bring up um, because I'm here talking to you is that after um, all of this came out, Adrienne was my supervisor. She came and she gave me a high five and she said, I am so proud of you for advocating for yourself. And I felt so validated um, and so just... I mean, it was that awesome, like, feminist moment. I felt like a feminist hot dog superhero. Yeah. Um, It was, so it was, it was amazing to be making that higher rate, but really what was amazing is that I kind of learned how to break through that discomfort of saying, okay, look, what is the difference between me and this guy?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I will always remember that, too, because I was so shocked that there was such a wage difference, too. And like so proud of you for, you know, investigating that and then asking the question. So that was. Yeah. I remember that high five, too. And it was very sincerely given. That was. Yeah.
1: I don't take it lightly. Thank you so much.
0: So we are going to talk about what made our feminist hearts sing lately. I'm going to jump in first, if that's okay. Go for it. So one of my personal goals right now is to be less complacent uh, when it comes to environmental justice issues and climate change in particular, because I am someone who can get, I mean, I'm certainly not alone, can get very bogged down by the feeling of, Inevitability and like these thought patterns that tell me that I'm one person, I can't make a difference, blah, 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 which of course is exactly the kind of thinking that got us in this situation in the first place. So I was really excited to come across this list from Amnesty International. um, And the link is called 22 Diverse Voices to Follow on Twitter This Earth Day. And I will link it in the show notes. And, you know, obviously we don't want to just think about environmental issues on Earth Day. So I highly encourage everyone to check out everyone on this list. It's super inspiring. And it's also a great way to get a sense that there is no like one way to do environmental justice Mm -hmm. and no one type of person who does it. Right. The list doesn't necessarily identify it as a list of women. It says it's a list of writers, advocates, lawyers, poets, journalists, and thinkers. Um, and while they definitely acknowledge in the sort of little opening paragraphs the need to, I'll quote them, increase the visibility of indigenous leaders, women, ethnic minorities, and advocates from the global South, the list isn't labeled as a list of women, but it is. So I I just find that interesting. And it's hard to tell if it was intentional or if it just sort of happened mm. that way. But um, Either way, it's a great list. And what I love about it is, like I said, it definitely gives you a a sense that you can do this no matter where you live, what your skills are. You have a voice and you can use it. So um, a few of the people who stood out to me on this list, one is named Jamie Margolin, and she's the founder of Zero Hour, which is an intersectional movement of youth activists to uplift LGBTQ folks and women of color who are um, agents of climate change. And then there's a very young woman um, also named Leah, um, Leah Namugerwa, and she is a 14-year-old activist from Uganda. Um, 14. I know. (laughs) So truly, if um, if 14-year-olds are out there doing it, we have no excuse. And she's one of, actually, she's one of the main leaders of Uganda's Fridays for Future School Strikes movement. And she uses her social media platform to raise awareness of environmental issues in Uganda and to demand um, faster climate action. And um, then the last person I'll mention is Tara Hauska, And she's an attorney who fights for indigenous rights and justice. She is the national campaign director for Honor the Earth, uh, which is a U.S.-based nonprofit that campaigns for indigenous and environmental justice. And she is Ojibwe from the Ching First Nation. And she is the founder of Not Your Mascots, which campaigns against the harmful stereotyping of Native Americans in, in the public sphere. So total badass. Um, and I also want to shout out the Mothers of Invention podcast, which is hosted by Mary Robinson, who is actually the former Irish president, the president. President of Ireland, Um, yeah, and she co-hosts with a woman named Maeve Higgins, um, and they have interviewed a lot of the women on this list. Actually, are on the Mothers of Invention podcast, which focuses on environmental change, which is fantastic. And I like it because Twitter, although you know, say what you want about it, is it has certainly has its drawbacks, but it also has its benefits. Like if you, you know, subscribe to follow these twenty-two people on Twitter it's kind of putting their message in your path on a daily Mm. basis and i think that that's really powerful in terms of kind of helping to gradually change our mindsets bring new ideas into our consciousness and just help us think more like activists and so um, i'm very excited to get on their feeds and see what they're talking about
1: thank you so much for sharing this and i cannot wait to check out All of their Twitter feeds, especially my fellow Leah. So shout out to her. That's (laughs) right. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, I can go ahead and talk about what made my feminist heart sing. Great. In the last week or so, I am going to tell, like, a, a story. It's not an article, if that's cool. Oh, of course. Awesome. So, um I am really lucky to work with this organization called the Community Empowerment Fund, which is based here in Durham, works with Duke students, and basically it's a financial empowerment kind of coaching organization, and we not only meet with community members who are experiencing homelessness or nearing it to work through kind of job security, um, um, financial security, housing goals, etc. cetera. Um, but we also do some awesome political advocacy in um, in the state, in, in the Triangle region. And so I am always inspired when I go to the Community Empowerment Fund and go and work there. But I was especially inspow- inspired a couple days ago um, when I had this awesome experience of going to one of our advocacy meetings um, and We had a ton of community members come to express their concerns about the lack of affordable housing in Durham, um, which is the city in North Carolina where I live. And we didn't plan it this way, but it just so happened that it was an all-female group. So all women, mostly mothers and actually mostly single mothers um and some of them older and some of them younger it was this intergenerational gathering of women all women of color as well um and they came to express these concerns to a city council member who's actually the mayor pro tempore of the city and she her name is Jillian Johnson um she is so badass and awesome um so she's this amazing uh queer black woman who's a political leader in the city and, um, she came to listen and speak with this group of all women who have experienced homelessness in the past or are experiencing it right now um about how they can transform the city um into a place that affords everybody the right to a roof over their head and it was so amazing not just to hear the conversations that were happening um but also just just to be in this woman dominated woman-owned space where people could be level with each other and, and see that kind of political action between, you know, somebody really high up on the power structure of the city with just the people of the city. Um, that's the best feeling ever to witness. So I, I loved it.
0: What I love about that too is how the, you know, the person who has the power and the fancy title in that situation really sounds like she was there to listen Mm -hmm. and to not assume that the people who are experiencing the problems don't have really good ideas about how to address those problems. And I think that that's often really missing in some of our public dialogue. There's a lot of top down, you know, here's what the data says and here's what works in other places and here's what we should do. And like, well, Probably the people who live in that neighborhood or who are experiencing that problem have pretty, pretty familiar with what that looks like for them and and some good ideas about how to change it. So that's that's fantastic.
1: Exactly. We need more Jillian Johnson's um, in politics. It was. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Go Jillian. I'm, I'm glad to know about her. Uh, Well, the last thing I wanted to talk about was an article that I read recently um, on a website called Make Muse, which I'm actually going to talk more about later um, because I'm a little bit obsessed with it right now. And this article made my feminist heart sing. It is called 13 Things I'm Really, Really Good At. And I read it. It caught my eye because I remember back in my social work days, I, I knew a woman who worked at a place called Ophelia's place in, it was a program for girls uh, in Eugene, Oregon, and she was a therapist and she talked a lot about how it was hard for girls in her program to name anything that they were good at. And when they were pressed to talk about what they were good at, they would usually say, Oh, I'm a, I'm a good listener. I'm a good friend or something like that, as opposed to name any kind of skill, Mm. Um, which of course I think being a good listener actually is an important skill but it's one that we might, um, you know, that does get gendered of course in our, in our culture. So I'm trying to, um, think about this in terms of my own life and like get a little bit more personal power around the things that I'm good at and not diminishing those things or, you know, being self depreciating about them, but actually kind of being loud and proud about them. So I'm going to read a few things from this list. And then I thought we could try um like a little activity where we (laughs) rapid fire without thinking about it too much and just name some things that we are good at are you up for that
1: let's do it I'm ready okay
0: okay so here's some examples from this list which this was a very poetic list that was like obviously carefully crafted um and really creative so ours don't have to be quite as uh poetic but um that's okay. So her a few from her list. Managing to keep every inch of my body warm, but having ice cold hands, which I can certainly relate to. In, in my case, it's usually my feet. Um, forgetting the password to access my bank account, but remembering things like the moment three years ago when a stranger held the door for me. Uh, forgiving people for mistreating or undertreating me without their apology being faxed directly to my heart, which <laughs> oh <laughs> that my one, gosh. I really love that one. That one made me laugh. Um, OK, so are you ready to play the things I'm good at game?
1: Yes, I certainly um, won't be so poetic, uh, but I'll do my best. OK, Maybe some right. haiku answers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <That sounds good.
0: laughs> OK, so I I'll go first. I am really, really good at making chili.
1: I am a really good writer.
0: You are a really good writer. I can vouch for that. I Thank Having you. read, your, I wish having, I could vouch
1: for your chili. <laughs> oh, well,
0: one of these days, girl, we will get together and I will make you some veggie chili. It's the oh, bomb. yes, perfect. Um, I am really, really good at keeping the driver awake on long road trips, and just sort of taking care of the driver in general. Like, I'm. I'll unwrap your hamburger. I'll help you take your jacket off. I can find the playlist for you. I'm very good at that.
1: That is such a good skill, and I am a pretty bad a road trip passenger. <laughs> I am a bad navigator. I just kind of forget to do those little things, but I'm actually a really good road trip driver. Like I enjoy being the driver. I can stay awake. I think I can kind of get us where we're trying to go. So, you know, we would go well together on
0: a road okay, trip. Okay, yes. If if yeah. we ever end up on a road trip, we've got our roles yeah. designated. <laughs> All right, you're next.
1: Oh, that's me. You're right. Um, I am really good at picking outfits. It sounds also gendered, but I don't think it is. I think, um, you know, there's something kind of artistic about putting together a a cool outfit.
0: And I I think I'm pretty good at it. Absolutely. That's totally art. That's definitely an art. I am really, really good at making campfires and building fires and wood burning stoves Mm.
1: Um, I am really good at mm, I am really good at sending emails Um, Mm. this sounds also kind of a weird skill but I'm pretty famous for for my email even the short ones Um, my email crafting power so uh, my friends will come to me with that
0: I like it. To look over.
1: Yeah, right? And that's a
0: skill that can serve you in a lot of different areas of your life. Yeah, Uh, for sure. Uh, I am really good at editing. I think that that is definitely kind of where my strengths as Mm. professionally lie.
1: I am really good at remembering people's orders, like for Mm. coffee or food or things that they like. I'm good at trying to remember those small things about them.
0: Uh, I'm really good at teaching yoga.
1: Hmm. Oh my gosh. I still need to go to one of your classes.
0: Oh yeah. It'll happen.
1: Yes. Um, I am really good at, hmm. Oh my gosh. This is way harder than you would, you would think. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am really good at losing my keys. I just cannot hold on to them. <laughs> I don't know why. But it's pretty bad. <laughs> one of these days. It's gonna be really bad.
0: Um I this is a weird one, but I am really good at sensing when someone is about to say something racist. I have like a sixth sense about that. I don't and I don't know like where like where that came from exactly but I can I can see it coming like a mile down the road and so shut it it, down yeah and it gives me some opportunity to sort of decide like okay what 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 is my face gonna do when this happens and like what am I gonna say um and I don't necessarily know that I always say the right thing in fact I'm sure a lot of times I should say more um but yeah that's that is something i've just been able to like i can i can like see where the thought patterns are going sometimes not all the time but yeah
1: very good radar to have
0: for sure it's a <laughs> yeah it's not always pleasant but it is interesting yeah
1: so i i am pretty good at being perceptive to when people are feeling uncomfortable um mm. and i think i'm pretty good at kind of accommodating their needs in that moment of discomfort um I think that's a nice thing to recognize
0: it is a nice thing to recognize and thank you for indulging me in that little activity I feel like that's something I should try to practice on like a daily basis
1: yeah I know I want to do these I I can't believe it's so hard for me and I want I want it to be easier so thank you for awakening me to that
0: well I'll just start sending you text messages like Leah what are you good at Text me back right now.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That would make me so happy.
0: Um, Okay, so I have been switching up the Dear Feminist Hot Dog segment um, for season two. Instead of answering listener questions, I have been asking questions of my guests based on things that I know that either they're interested in or have some skills around. So, are you are you ready to answer my question?
1: I am so ready. Okay. Um, So yeah, make it a softball.
0: (laughs) All right. Dear Feminist Hot Dog, Leah. What do you say when you meet a woman who is vocal about not identifying as a feminist, even though they acknowledge that gender inequality exists and that they're against it? Do you just assume that they are a lost cause or do you try to find out more and offer some evidence that supports your own position that feminism is awesome? Or does it really matter? Meaning, do you think that the insistence that one is not a feminist is bad for feminism? Is is it something that needs to be discussed at all. What do you think?
1: Okay, this is such a good question and it's something that I have thought about a lot. Um and I saw this actually I saw this documentary recently. It's called Ask Dr. Ruth. Mm. Um and it's about Dr. Ruth Westheimer who um was is this amazing um sex therapist who was really popular in I think the the '90s, the uh, late '80s and '90s, um, and she is a Holocaust survivor. She um, has a PhD. She spent all these years on TV and radio advising people um, about their sex problems, and um, there's a conversation in the film between her and her granddaughter, and her granddaughter saying, "Grandma, why don't you think you're a feminist?" Um, you literally are just all, I mean, you're, you fit every mold for a feminist. You are sex positive. You, um, are, you know, you, you kind of in your house, your own household, you kind of flip the gender roles where you did less of the domestic stuff. <coughs> um, and, and her grandma just won't budge on it. She's like, no. I believe in equality but I just don't like the the title and I thought that conversation was kind of the encapsulation of a lot of the conversations that I have had with older women in my life Um, and I so I think that is kind of um (coughs) excuse me um the spot where I will make a differentiation or a distinction because I think that um depending on somebody's age it can be really hard or honestly kind of um disrespectful to try to tell them how to identify or what label to use you know I haven't lived as long or through as much as my grandmother and I'm you know if it's my grandma like I'll kind of push her on it but any other older woman i will accept whatever title they'd like and um whatever ideology they want to claim um i know i'm a relatively young person and i don't want to um try to instruct an older person on um how to live their life or how to view themselves um so i think that's one distinction i'll draw um, but when it comes to people my age, I certainly um, am one to push for feminism, and um, I've seen it happen in my own life um, time and again that I have a female friend who doesn't see herself as a feminist, you know, says she believes in equal pay, um, but just thinks, you know, feminists, fe- feminists are too loud, or um, fe- feminism is... Uh, angry bra burning or whatever um and just uh doesn't quite have a a full understanding um or what I believe to be a full understanding of what feminism can mean um and unfortunately you know um a lot of the times I've seen this happen with friends and I've seen the transformation happen it's had to do with a really hard um moment that they've been through um and mm. you know almost all of my friends who i knew in high school or in college who didn't identify as feminists they have had that kind of moment of reckoning of sometimes it's sexual assault sometimes it's being treated differently sometimes it's incessant catcalling, calling some etc but they have these really difficult moments um that I wish didn't happen to them, but those are the moments where they say, "Oh my gosh, this is feminism. Like this, this is what this is what I can use it for." Um, and, and in those moments, like I have tried to be the best friend that I can first, and to provide feminism as a way of recovering second, if that makes sense. Mm, um, to say, yeah. look, here is this feminist writer who has written about this experience that you had and might be able to provide some ideas um about how to move forward from here and might even be able to provide some ideas about how to make sure this doesn't happen to other women um is that something you'd be interested in and it sucks that those moments happen um but those are certainly the places where i see people finding their feminism um and so i try not to push push it on anyone. Um, but certainly for people my age or around my age, I try to provide it
0: when they need it. I really love that, that you are kind of there, um, with the sort of perspective or guidance or resources at the moment when someone sort of has kind of like you were saying about your experience in high school, where it, that being, treated the way that you were treated as a female leader at your school really opened your eyes to, Oh, this is, this is what feminism is is for. This is why we need it. This is what they're talking about. And this is how it can, um, why this is worth my time and worth my energy and my thought. Thank you for, I really love that perspective. And, um, and I, I think it's a, it's a very, it's a way to sort of extend grace also and recognize that you're kind of meeting people where they're at, rather than trying to force them into your way of seeing things. Um, just kind of be consistent in your position, and then when they're op- more open to talking about it, then you're there with to have the conversation.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's totally how I see it.
0: Well, thank you, thank you, feminist hot dog, Leah. That was a great <laughs> answer. Of course. <laughs> We are going to talk about the hot dog hall of fame and who we're going to induct. Yay. So I mentioned earlier that I've been reading this website called make muse, which Mm. I, um, really enjoy. And the person that I would like to induct into the hall of fame is actually the founder and editor of make muse. And her name is Maura Sheedy and she is a college student. Um, I wanted to pick um, a college student in honor of you. And she's from Pittsburgh. Yeah, she's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She's the founder, like I said, of Make Muse which is an online feminist media platform, newsletter, and print magazine that's focused on young women smashing societal standards. Um, and those standards I are largely, yeah, largely related to gender, but other things, too. There's a wide variety of topics addressed on this website. I'm in my 40s. And as I mentioned, it was kind of a late bloomer. So even though I'm not really the demographic that Make Muses is aimed at. I still love it. And I read it all the time and I always learn so much from it. Um, and Mora has a great team of designers and content producers around her. And she does all of this while she's still in school at Fordham university, studying business media and marketing. And she also does freelance work and does outreach work for a mental health nonprofit. So she is like productivity goals for sure. Um, Actually, we need her secrets. I know. Well, and she, um, she talks about that too. She, when people ask her, um, this is part of the reason why she falls in the category of, of young people that I'm in awe of is like when people ask her like, well, how do you do all of this? She's very frank and very straightforward about it. And she just says, I'm very motivated and I'm very organized. So there's no like self depreciation. She's basically just like, I decide what I want to do and I do it. And I just love that. I just love that she owns that. She's so good at um, managing her business and having ideas and following through on them. Because I think that, again, that's one that's something that we often are sort of trained to minimize or, um, you know, not talk about or say like, oh, you know, I just have a lot of help or a really great team or something. And she's like, I'm yeah, so no, lucky. I, I'm yeah, I'm so lucky, and she's like, yeah, I'm just really good at this. <laughs> I appreciate that's productivity goals and confidence goals exactly, totally. Um, so she says that she laid the foundation for Make Me's when she was just 16 years old, and she decided not to wear makeup for a year, and this was an experiment that she documented on Instagram um, on an Instagram account called Makeupless Mora. And after that, she was thinking about what to do next if she wanted to write a book or do a documentary um, or, you know, basically how to kind of extend this cultural conversation about young women pushing back against the beauty industry. And it ended up growing into this whole platform that became um, Make Muse. So, and I really appreciate, too, So, because my roots are in magazines, that even though she is young and obviously very adept at using social and video um and digital spaces she believes in print and I read an interview with her where she talks about loving not only magazines but coffee table books too and that's a big deal to me because print is like my first love so the fact mm-hmm. that she marries both digital and print in her work um, I think is really fantastic so that's pretty much her check out make muse digital and print and welcome Bora to the feminist hot dog hall of fame
1: Yay! Yay! Oh my gosh! Three cheers for Maura! Yeah, that's absolutely. awesome. And I need to check out Make Muse. I really um, am so inspired by that idea, and I also love print. So I think that's perfect for me. Something easy to follow online, but also that has a print option. Just so that's cool. right.
0: You can you can take it on a plane. Yes. <laughs> so how about you? Who are you going to induct into the Hall of Fame?
1: Okay, so I thought long and hard about um, who I wanted to bring into the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. And I decided that I have to go with one of my just role models, one of my superheroes um, right now who is doing the most amazing work. And her name is Nicole Hannah-Jones. Oh,
0: yes. I know. her.
1: I love her. I am somebody who got inspired, um, got my kind of political consciousness through public education on behalf of public education, and I'm so interested in public education in general. And her work um, revolves around uh, school segregation in the U.S., and she has gone all across the country investigating the resegregation and the exacerbation of existing segregation on the basis of race in um, schools across the United States. And I just think not only is her journalism so just compelling, so strong, and really has made so much change um, and opened so many so many people's minds and hearts um, to the experiences of children across the US, but also she is an unapologetic feminist And she is an unapologetic female leader. Um, She is a black woman who has been doing this work for a really long time and who never apologizes for taking up space or for her accomplishments or for for the writing that she she does. And I just love her uh, her writing, her her audio stuff that she's put together for places like This American Life I think um, she is one of the thinkers and leaders that we will look back, um, you know, in 20 years or so and say that was kind of the muckraker of our generation. Um, So I just think she's awesome. And I look up to her in every way and uh, just want to shout her out for her for her work. So thank you, Nicole Hannah-Jones.
0: I love Nicole Hannah-Jones, and I'm so happy that you chose her. She's an awesome, awesome addition to the Hall of Fame. Yay! Yay! Well, Leah, I have enjoyed our conversation so much. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I know that you are very busy and you have a lot going on. And um, I'm just really inspired um, to hear your perspective. So thanks again.
1: Adrian. this has been such a joy. And talking to you is always such a joy. So I'm so happy that we got to Feminist Hot Dog it out today. <laughs> um,
0: and listeners, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and sign up for the Feminist Hot Dog newsletter so you can stay up on all the latest hot dog news. Our music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music and our audio editing is by Square Lightning Design. Thanks for listening. Love yourself. Love your buns. Goodbye.